Carpenter's Way over here at the piano today. Um, welcome and welcome to those of you that are uh, joining us online. Um, you can see Chad is not here. That is not Chad, although he still has playing attractive. Chad's guitar. Much more attractive. Much more attractive. <laughs> you have a little bit more hair. A lot younger, a lot more spry. I think Chad, it's Chad was going to watch, wasn't he? Probably not. No, okay. Anyway, Chad is not here with us today, but uh, Zach Wilkie, my son, is over there, and he's going to lead with, we're going to lead together. But anyway, I wanted to welcome you and say that we are glad that you're here to worship with us together, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Um, we are going to spend some time um, praising our God, the one who saved us, um, reading his word, and then hearing a message from Mark. And so... Um, I want you to join in in any way that you are able. If you are able to stand and join us, we'd love to have you do that. Um, if you're not, that's fine too. And I was told that I had to say this. This is for you, Chad. If you're at home and you're watching, please don't be a spectator. I want to start but, flashing it on the screen. Don't be a spectator. Don't be a spectator. But join us in worship. Okay. in his hands who has numbered every grain of sand kings and nations tremble at his voice all creation rises to rejoice behold our God seated on his throne adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come let us Oh 
standing, if you're able, we're going to read God's word here from Psalm 96. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is the most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. 
Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell all the nations, the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth, and he will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my savior on that cursed tree his body bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone messiah still and all alone oh praise the Saints, my 
my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore, for endless days we will sing.
creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord who was, who was and is and is to come. creation I sing praise to the King of Kings you are my everything and I will adore you let's pray God, we thank you for this, this time and this, this cool room to, to worship you safely. God, as we, uh, as we, as we exit this time of, of musical worship and enter into a time of just worshiping you through, through uh, the exposit of your word, I pray that you just be with, with Pastor Mark, that you provide him clarity, God, and that you, you prepare our hearts for your truth. Um, God, may it, may, it, may, it, may it cut away the, the fat, God, and, and grow us and edify us, especially as we, we look at this template prayer, God, as we look through this this, this, this a, a picture of what it means to commune with you. God, may we be reminded that that's, that's more than just singing a song, but it is time with you. God, we thank you for this. We thank you for this time. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Man, that last line of that song, I will adore you. I, I just, I just want to remind you that a, a full-throated surrender to the Lord isn't done by rogue statements and doctrinal statements by the church or, or just gatherings and saying stuff together, but it, it comes from ad- adoring God. And there is no way that somebody can talk you into a loving and adoring God unless you look in the mirror and realize what we have been saved from. And I know that we grew up, many of you in the Bible Belt, and I know you've heard this your whole life, and we do Easter and Christmas every year, and, but I, I, just, I just want to remind you that without Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, without the Father sending him, without the Holy Spirit sealing us, the activities of all three members of the Trinity of mercy and grace, we are in real trouble. You may think you're a good person, but in God's standard, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, without, without his mercy, I mean, when you realize who you are in light of God, all you can say is, I just wish God would just offer forgiveness, and that's exactly what he's done. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, and I mean it. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus Christ offers forgiveness. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be forgiven, given mercy, given grace, and adopted into the family of God. And if you don't know him today, um, boy, don't ever substitute religion for an intimate personal relationship with God. What, a, what an awesome thing we could do this morning to come together and sing songs that we will sing into eternity. And I, I got to tell you, I think that we've undervalued our hope. I, I, think, I think we've kind of been robbed, or I have been, of the excitement about the second coming of Christ, just because there's so many wackos out there telling us that God is coming a week from Tuesday. 
So you kind of move away from it, and everybody's got their own idea. And so at least me personally, and, and your response tells me that you're kind of in that boat. You know, we don't talk about it much, but just remember that that's our hope. That man, when he comes back, all the stuff you're worrying about this morning, all the stuff that's going on, the burdens of your heart, they're all solved. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of you uh, just found out this last week that, that one of our people went to be with Jesus. Dusty went home to be with the Lord this last few weeks. You know, Dusty's problems are over. He's been struggling with medical issues, but that's real. That's real. Dusty is in the presence of the Lord. It's easy for Dusty to worship right now. It's hard for you to worship. We're still on this side of the veil. We still see dimly. We still, we're still pure faith. Man, I, I hope you're going to keep your promises, God. I trust you. And that's hard. It's hard. But when we sing songs like the Revelation song, when they sing these songs, man, it just, it just lifts your heart to remind you that our hope is found in Jesus Christ. And if you're visiting Carpenter's Way, I want to be clear, your hope will not be found in Carpenter's Way. It may be found at Carpenter's Way, but not in Carpenter's Way. You're not going to find your hope in a pastor. You're not going to, we've known that this last year big time. You find your hope in Jesus. And wherever you're at this morning, whether it's in this room or online, wherever you are spiritually, if you will cry out to Jesus Christ, he will meet you where you're at. No matter what the church says about your particular sin or your particular struggle, I want you to know that Jesus Christ was called a friend of sinners. He was ridiculed by the religious leaders because he hung out with people who needed redemption. And his response to them was, I didn't come to save those who think they're clean. I came to save those who know they're sinners, who know they're dirty. And if you know you're dirty this morning, Jesus Christ is the washer of dirt. Run to him. Um, so with that said, it's time to preach, okay? So Matthew 6, 7 to 15. Let's jump right into this text. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles, okay? So Gentiles was also uh, a reference to unsaved. Jesus is talking to his followers in this prayer that we've been studying, and they would have understood as the Gentiles being unsaved. So when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles are unsaved do. And, they, and why do they do that, I ask? Well, Jesus answers, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. So prayer from the unbeliever isn't adoration, isn't loving God, isn't a trusting conversation between a father and a son. It's manipulation of the sovereign. And I, I think that even as we've talked over the recent weeks, we're going to wrap up, I'll, I'll get there in a minute, but we're going to wrap up our, our series on, um, on the Lord's Prayer this week. But I, I think that a lot of us go to prayer in order to manipulate God into giving us what we're asking for. And that is not what prayer was ever supposed to be. He says, don't be like them. Don't repeat words over and over again in hopes of wearing God down so he gives you what you're asking for. Don't be like the Gentile or the unsaved. Why not? Because your father, that's like, wow, your father, who's the one you're praying to, already knows exactly, not partially, not kind of, but knows exactly what you need before you even ask him. Well, what does that have to do with anything? You don't have to repeat it over and over again to get him to do what you want him to do because he already knows what you need, not what you're asking for. And that takes us into the prayer. He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, and, and this is going to throw you off, and it's still hard for me to read even after six weeks of teaching it because I got it memorized in the King James. The, our Father, this is out of the New Living, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. 
And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. This, as Zach prayed a moment ago, is the Lord's model or template prayer that we've been studying these last six weeks. And I, I want to remind you that his goal was not for us to memorize it and say it over and over again. Again, that's what the Gentiles and the unsaved people do. You can go to a funeral and an atheist will say these words. They memorize it as a child in hopes of whatever, in hopes of being a good part of a religious crowd, in hopes of manipulating God, in hopes of whatever. But he's saying, that's not it for us. We are the children of God. Your Father already knows your needs. As I had mentioned already, we're going to end this short uh, six-week series. I, I began telling you it was going to be three or four weeks. You were right. It was double that. Thank you for correcting me on that. But next week, we're going to have communion together, so our whole service will be wrapped around communion. And then the following week, we're going to start a series on, uh, on Romans. Uh, Louise, if you'd put the, the uh, image up there. Uh, it's going to be called Soteriology. I know that's lofty. And Jeff, so adamantly, wonderfully, beautifully, I told you last week, I wanted a, an enchilada. And the word across it, because Romans is the whole enchilada of salvation, but instead Jeff wants to elevate my ministry a little bit, so <laughs> I have the word soteriology, and he put it in a library because the book of Romans, the letter to the, to the Roman believers, uh, talks about what is salvation. The first three chapters, why do we need it? What's our position? Then beyond that, wh what did Jesus do about it? What did the Trinity do about it? And then we talk about how does that help us to relate to each other? And then he wraps up with a, a, an encouragement to the church. So it's going to be a long study. If I did this, I think this study should last about 20 weeks, which means it should last about 13 years. So <laughs> uh, I have done soteriology here, or Romans here. My first study with you in the church 17 years ago was Romans. I wanted to go through. I had never been a Southern Baptist before, but one thing I knew about Southern Baptists is we're really good at legalism. And so I wanted to go back through it, and I wanted to make sure everybody understood that uh, we're, the problem with people is not that we're not legalistic enough or not religious enough or that we, don't, we, don't, we, we avoid alcohol. That's not what's working for us. But the problem is sin, and what did Jesus do about it? So we went through it to talk about grace. This time, I, I think the church lacks, a, not, not Carpenter's Way in general, but I think we're so busy getting saved from hell. When we, when we go to a Billy Graham conference, which I love Franklin and what they do, not bad-mouthing them, but I think we're so busy presenting the gospel, asking simply the question, you don't want to go to hell, do you? And to which everybody in the whole universe says no. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more. It's bringing us back into the relationship with God that we had in the Garden of Eden. Uh, we'll get into that. So that's why I'm calling it soteriology. The word is a Latin word. It simply means the study of salvation. It's a doctrinal thing, so we're going to elevate you a little bit. One of the reasons that I, have, uh, uh, that I wanted an enchilada is because you're, enchilada, you're an enchilada flock. I mean, none of you are wearing ties this morning, and now you all want Mexican food for lunch, okay? But we're going to raise the bar a little bit. Don't wear a tie. It'll freak me out. But soteriology is a good word, and I, I, I do think that one of the, probably one of the weaknesses of my ministry as I preach, and this is a side note, is that I, that I haven't quoted enough of the fathers of the faith, people from the 1300s and 1200s and 800s and 600, you know, just hundreds of years after Christ who have wonderful teachings. And I'm going to probably start bringing that in a little bit more and some of the theological words. Why do we need that, Pastor Mark? Because I want you to know that Ravi Zacharias did not invent theology. I want you to know that worship did not start at Hillsong. I want you to know that the theology, the things that we believe, as Carpenter's Way Church, 
are things that the church has been teaching, the church has believed, biblical men and women have been teaching, have been believing since the days of Jesus. I want you to know that what you believe is not something new. There's not new enlightenment. We're not, what we are getting is archaeology that helps us understand the context and culture of the scriptures. It gives us, it takes us from black and white, as we've talked about, to 3D. And so I, I and to HD. So that's what we're, so that's one of the reasons I wanted to use that word, just so you know, because I don't, I don't use that kind of language very often. It's not a bad word, although it made it sound like it is. All right, back to my text. So in the last six weeks, and I, I want to review before we get into the final statement here this morning, but in the, uh, the last six weeks, we've learned that this prayer was not given to us to repeat verbatim, as I already mentioned, but it's actually conceptually how we're supposed to pray. And it seems to me that, um, that this prayer has as much to do with us declaring with our mouth truths about God before we get to the purpose of why we're praying. Uh, Jesus in this section, when he told the disciples, don't be like the Gentiles when they pray, points out that even unsaved people go to prayer when they're desperate. Uh, let me give you an example from modern times. You may have in your family or at work an atheist or an agnostic, somebody who doesn't know, somebody who doesn't go to church, somebody who doesn't uh, accept your faith and may even think you're a little weird. But the moment they get brain cancer, they will often ask, look, I haven't believed what you believe, but I can use all the help I can get. So if you wouldn't mind praying for me, I would appreciate that. Does that sound familiar? That's, the, the fact is that, that it is a luxury not to believe in God until you need him, and everybody prays. It's not just Christians that pray, it's anybody prays, spiritual people. We have some friends that we've been trying to minister to, and they say all the time, we're not, we're not really people of faith, but we are spiritual. Wow, our culture is whacked. I mean, it's just so, it's such a weird, it's heartbreaking because that means I want to believe in something. I just don't want to study and find out for myself. And so, to make a long story short, Jesus is actually saying here, even the unbelievers pray. So he's telling us to pray differently than they pray. So it's, it's been powerful to me personally over the last six weeks. And one of the cool things about preaching is I get to obsess over texts that I'm familiar with and get into them. And it struck me over the last six weeks that one of the things I noticed is the prayer seems to be more about my heart when I pray instead of what I'm praying about. It's only at the end of the prayer that I get to provide me my needs. I need forgiveness. I need food. Uh, I mean, those are the two things personally I pray for. And, and it's, it's just such a small part of the prayer, but it's usually the very purpose for which I'm praying in the first place, right? I mean, I know you know, a famous meme, and the reason it's popular right now on Facebook is because we all kind of get it. Today, Jesus, I just want to thank you for my, the things you've given me, and I'm not going to ask for anything. And that's, it's common. It's been spreading around the internet. And what's interesting about that is you kind of nod your head because 99.9% .9 of the time, the reason we pray in the first place is we're asking for something. And, and I just want to defend that in a way because Jesus actually said, bring your concerns to me. Cast your anxieties upon me. But, but Jesus, when he's teaching us to pray, realizing that we come to him with our needs, inviting us to bring our needs to him, wants us to understand who he is and declare it before we get into why we're praying. For instance, let's review. To begin, Jesus wants his followers to begin their prayer by acknowledging that, uh, that the one we are praying to is not some distant deity like the Gentiles pray to. If you're up there listening, help me, it's actually our Father. If you grew up Catholic, or if you are Catholic still to this day, 
and you pray this prayer with the Catholic Fellowship as you do regularly. It's actually called the Our Father. That's the title. The problem is Jesus was like going, when you pray to your Father, pray like this, Our Father. If you could stop before we get to food and the needs and the other stuff, if you could just breathe and realize what Jesus is saying, it's a powerful statement. When you talk to our Father, say our Father. We're in commune with each other. We're in communion with Jesus. Jesus is saying our. He is literally agreeing with Paul in Ephesus who says that we are joint heirs with Christ. That is a remarkable statement. He just, and remember the text, the text is of the Beatitudes according to Matthew, or not the Beatitudes, but uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which actually was a series of devotionals that Jesus is giving to his followers. And that series of devotionals, as we talked about last week, were kind of depressing because these people probably thought for the most part they were good people. They hadn't committed adultery. They hadn't murdered until Jesus explains his father, the judge, his standards of adultery. If you've ever lusted, my father sees you as having committed adultery. Ugh. Have you ever called somebody a fool? My father considers that murder. Ugh. And it goes on even about forgiveness. If you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. These were things that were very upsetting to the listeners. They had to be going, we are in real spiritual trouble, to which Jesus answers that. How? What is the solution? Just give me time. I'm going to be the solution. See, this was all working towards the cross. And Jesus wants them to know even now, that as they pray, they're not praying to some distant God who doesn't care about them, but they were praying to their Father and our Father who knows our needs even before we talk to Him about them. Taking concerns to a father is a natural activity of a child toward his or her father, even though our Father has, happens to be in heaven. Our Father, who art in heaven. That first line is enormous. I, uh, I want to I sidebar for a second um, because I still have an hour and a half. <laughs> There's a lot of theological debate, and some of you are going to disagree with me who studied this. One of the things you debate in Bible school or seminary or in theological circles is what does it mean that we are made in the image of God? Um, I believe, and I, I can defend my point of view from Scripture generally, Nobody really, really, really knows what that means because there's not a verse that says, this is what that means. But the only thing we really know about God before he created the universe was that the Father was loving the Son. That's one thing Scripture says. And because of that, it's the only thing we know about God that's eternal. I mean, his qualities are eternal, but, they, but God wanted us to know from Scripture. And because of that, I believe that the image of God in man is that we're relational. I, it is amazing to me, whether you're saved or lost, how much people love relationships and animals and creation, and we are relational people. Even people who deny Yahweh as God call the earth Mother Earth. Uh, we, it's, it's a relational need that everybody has. Even we call each other a family. We need that. That's because I believe that that is the image of God in man. And I believe that God's plan all along wasn't just to send you to heaven or keep you out of hell, but actually, according to Ephesians 1, verse 5, it says God's unchanging plan was to adopt you and I into his family. And we got to get back to that 
Because when you're only saved from hell and saved from sin, there's no real relationship needed. It's just, okay, I take this key, I put it in this slot, and I turn it. But if it's about a relationship and we adore God, we don't have to lay out a bunch of rules. You're going to want to walk with God. That's what's so awesome about the song we just sang. We, man, if you adore Jesus, if you believe that he's got what's best for you, you will follow him. So the first line, the first thing we learned is that this is about a relationship with God, praying to God for your needs and your concerns and your wants, but remembering that he's your daddy, so he welcomes your presence. Second of all, it leads us right into the second statement, where actually it could have been translated instead of uh, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It sounds like we're saying that he's holy, and in our study of it, we realize that it's actually the first request in the prayer, and we're actually praying that God help us keep his name holy. And what that really, really means is help us remember who you are in light of being our Father. Help us remember you're the Holy One. So while we go to God, as our Father, invited to approach Him, He's telling us, but don't forget who He is. He is the Holy One. You're not the Holy One. You don't have it all figured out. The President isn't the Holy One. The, uh, the King of the World isn't the Holy One. Lucifer isn't the Holy One. He is the Holy One. So as we approach our Father, we are asking God to help us remember who He is and who we are in light of Him. That's a big deal. Because there's a lot of us today that have become so familiar with God, and he tells us to call him daddy, and this is the tension. That our attitude is, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why he, and I just want to say, how dare you? How would you like your kid at 45 to walk into your living room on your deathbed and go, why did you raise me in East Texas when I could have had Brussels sprouts in California? I mean, whatever it is, we've got to remember that he's God, which takes us into the next line, and it's super important. Before we get to our needs and our wants, he wants us to pray that, that his kingdom comes soon. So our Father, who is the Holy One, I'm remembering now he's holy, may your kingdom come soon. Why? Because Jesus wants us to remember that more than food, more than whatever else we think we need, whatever we're taking to him, the biggest thing is our solution to our problem is not being raised from the dead like Lazarus, but is actually the kingdom coming. That's the solution. That's why we sing about it. That's why we talk about it. Why? The problem, I think, uh, and I've made this joke before when we talked through it, so please laugh out of respect. Um, but I, I think that Lazarus being raised from the dead was the most ripped off guy in the Bible. Because, would somebody please tell me why? He had, he had to die again. It tells us a week after the resurrection of Lazarus, after he's raised from the dead, that everybody's celebrating at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. They're all coming into food and they're seeing him. And it says that he was sitting in the corner eating and everybody was looking at him. Do you know why he was sitting in the corner and eating? Because his language was inappropriate. He was in the corner eating, going, I can't believe I have to go through this again. I mean, it's, it's true. You know, we pray. If you pray, there's a story in Scripture. I, I don't remember the details. I'm not going to tell it because I'm going to mess. No, I'm, I'm going to tell it. There's a story in Scripture in the Old Testament where a man prays for a longer life, and the last years of his life, the extension God gives him is miserable. 
You know, we, we pray for stuff, and we don't even know what we're praying for. And what we have to remember is the solution to our money problems, our physical problems, our country problems, the, the solution to man's inhumanity to man, to racism, to all of the poverty, the solution is the return of Christ. That's the solution. And so, again, you can pray to our Father. He loves you. He wants you to come to Him. But we got to start by saying, God, help us remember who you are and who we are in light of you. May we keep your name holy. And then he goes on, your kingdom comes soon. That's our prayer. That's the answer to all of America's ailments. The answer to America is not a Democrat president, Senate, and Congress, and it's not a Republican Senate and Congress. The answer to America's needs are the people who live in this country, and not the government's answer, but the people's answer is Jesus Christ's return. Do you believe that? Children of God, you've got to believe that. And if you don't, you need to keep studying. You need to ask God to help you value that. The answer to believers in Iran this morning that are hiding is Jesus Christ's return. The answer to believers in China who are being persecuted is the return of Christ. The answer to our children's problems, our children's children's problems, our great-great-grandchildren if the Lord tarries that long. The answer to all of that is the return of Jesus Christ. And we got to get back to finding our hope in his return. And that's why he tells us to pray it. May your kingdom come soon. And then he continues that thought in the next line of the prayer where, he's, where, where we're declaring, we want your will to be done just on earth just like it is in heaven. Just sure that we often like, part of the prayer that we often like, zip through, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because we don't think about it, but you're actually saying, God, before I come to you for my food and all my needs and all my wants, I want you to know that in the end, I really want your will to be done here, just like I, I'm glad your will's being done there, which I can't see. You're actually saying, before I ask for a better job and a better president and a more, well, you couldn't ask for a better pastor, but before you ask for all those things, before you go to him, you're saying, but I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And by the way, we have a model of that in Jesus. Because Jesus actually said, take this cup of suffering from me, but not my will, yours be done. May your world be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which is pretty cool when you think about it, because Jesus isn't just teaching us how to pray, he's telling us how he prayed. And you have an example of him praying that right there. Then we got to the part of the prayer list that most of the time is why we're praying in the first place. We pray that God gives us uh, the food we need, our daily food. And it could have been translated today and tomorrow's food. That's not the point. The point isn't even food. The point Jesus is making is then you bring your needs to him. Once you realize that he is your father and he wants you to come to him, he already knows what you need. He wants you to talk to him about things he already knows. Want to remember that he's the holy one, that his kingdom comes soon. Okay, that's the answer. And we want your will done here just like it is done in heaven. Then you get to the things, provide us the food we need. And we talked about that. Because while we go to God and we ask him for steak tartar, ugh, do you know when we lived in Wisconsin, they loved that? Have it, have you guys like steak tartar? That's when you take the cow, you shoot it in the head, and you rip out part of its body and just eat it. I know there's some of you. <laughs> that's not what they do. I'm just kidding. It's like they, they take raw meat and they... They put it in a cute circle, and they put onions on it, and they call that dinner. But they have great cheese up there. We lived there for five years, four years, and they drink out of a bubbler, by the way. That's a drinking fountain. That's okay. 
When I tell my Wisconsin friends that you don't push a cart at Walmart, you push a buggy, they don't get that either. And you know what else you don't do? You don't push buttons, you mash buttons. And those aren't speed bumps, they're speed humps. You are a weird group of people. Everywhere we've lived, there's a little different culture. And it's like, you call that a what? The bubbler thing's weird. But back to the point. What we pray for, I need a better job. No, I want a better job. And you can take that to the Lord, but you just have to remember that God promises to provide our needs, not our wants. And the case in point we looked at was the children of Israel in the wilderness. Remember, I, and I put the verse up there from Numbers 21, where they said, there's nothing for us to eat out here in the wilderness, and we hate the manna you've provided. And we laughed. I'm glad you're laughing because that's pretty much where Christians live, are followers of God. We go to God going, I need a better job. And God goes, no, you need me to take care of you. You have plenty of money, it just means no Starbucks. Well, I want Starbucks. I'm aware. I will provide Starbucks from heaven. <laughs> you, see, you see, this is about a change of mind. This prayer is actually about us declaring to God truths. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a prayer we regurgitate without thought. It's actually God saying, hey, Jesus, as God, and he's the second member of the Trinity, he's actually teaching us how to pray. You don't have to pay $40 or $20 for a book on effective prayer. You never have to buy that again. You don't, have to, you don't have to go to a conference on prayer. You don't have to do that. You can actually just read these five verses and learn everything you need to know about prayer. Because you know who's teaching you about prayer? God. So what Mark Wilkie thinks about prayer is irrelevant. And the 500-page book on prayer that teaches you how to get God to answer your prayers is actually the opposite of this prayer. You see, this is you and God talking to your Father in heaven and telling him, I know you've got a plan, and I know your plan is better, and I, I want that plan, and I know it's the solution to all my needs, and, and I really, really want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But, Lord, I also want my grandkids to grow up in a good country. And God goes, I know that. I got you. Thank you for coming and talking to me about it. But, but God, does that mean you're going to put Trump back in office? Now you're asking for too much. And, and I, I didn't mean that as a political shot. I, I, I'll do the Democrats in five minutes. I just, I'm, I'm just saying that's what we do, isn't it? And then we pray like the Jews. Well, how can, if America falls, how will God continue to do his mission work around the world? To which God goes, got it handled. You got to remember who we're talking to, right? So it's really a change of heart, a change of mind. When we get sick, when the doctor says, when Kevin looks at me and says, I got good news and bad news. What is it, Dr. Kevin? The good news is you're going to see Jesus really, really soon. What's the bad news? It's the same. When he looks at me like that, the truth is I have to, I'm going to pray. We're going to pray together. He's going to say, you know, let's pray, and God can sustain your life. He can heal you. And then he goes into the opposite. That guy is toast within hours. But, but the fact is, I go to God, and God gets to decide if I'm going to live longer or not, right? And I want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, so I have to trust him. So sometimes you grinch your teeth, and you close your eyes and go, I trust in your goodness. I trust that you're God, even if my feelings are separate, because I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you understand? So we get through this amazing prayer, and then I thought this was going to be a really easy week. So I thought I could skip through, and we could have entertainment, and I could make you laugh. And then I, you know, last week we went through forgive our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, and we talked about you are forgiven by faith alone, 
and to forgive others, it's the same faith that's going to transform you. We become forgivers because we have been forgiven. And you can think about that and we can argue about that, but the truth is your salvation is not hinged upon whether or not you forgive any more than your salvation is hinged upon whether or not you've committed adultery. Thank God, right? This is when you go, yes, pastor. One, two, three. Yes. That was really great. So, so, so that, that's what this text is all about. Salvation is through faith in Christ alone. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But once by faith we're saved, God begins to transform us through the third person of the Trinity who comes in, and they help me to start forgiving because I have been forgiven so much. And that's what we talked about last week, and I encourage you, if you didn't watch last week's, to go watch it. But it brings us to the end in, in verse 13. We finally arrive at the end of the prayer. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. I thought this was going to be so simple. I mean, actually, I thought it was really great in the New Living Translation, and then I remember that that's not how I remember it from a child. And I started looking at most of the translations, and I actually want to say all of them, but I know there's going to be outliers. But just about every other English translation of the Bible translates this as, do not lead us into temptation. Now, let us not yield to temptation and do not lead us into temptation are actually two hugely different things. Um, is Jesus asking the Father, is he teaching me that I should ask the Father to redirect my stabs, stab, steps so that I'm not tempted? Or is he asking me to, him, to help me when I am tempted? To add to the quandary, Jesus' brother James, pastor of First Church Jerusalem back in the day, said this in James 1.13. Remember when you are being tempted, don't say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Okay, why is that a problem? Because of Matthew 4, 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. So this is what I do for a living. I love my life, but this is what I do for a living. I mean, it's a quandary. Does Jesus tempt me? Does he lead me into temptation? No, he doesn't lead you into temptation, but he led, he, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into temptation. Man, I do have a great job. And I want to thank you for putting up with me in it. Julie and I love being here. I love studying the Scripture. And I really like take, th taking things that we scoot over and reevaluating them at a real tight level. And I, I, just, I just want you to know that I am aware you have so many options and what a privilege it is for me. And it makes me work harder to think that each week most of you would would come back to hear what I have to say about a text. I, I can't, first of all, it makes me love you more. Second of all, it makes me question your judgment. But I, I really, I really did think this week, what a privilege. So to this text though, what I found out was the word that's translated in our English Bibles as temptation or tempted here could just as easily, I mean 50% when it's used, half and half, there's a judgment call here. It could have been tempted from sin like you know, when you hear temptation, you think that. Or it could have been trial or tribulation. It's weird, but I do want you to know that a lot of the modern versions of the Bible are heavily influenced by the first English version that was massively produced, the King James Version. So pretty much everybody sticks with that idea that this is a temptation, and it gives you an idea that this is simply talking about sin. But if you were to take the Greek sentence that, is that this is translated from, you could have easily translated this as, uh, please save us from a time of tribulation and or temptation. So this is talking, it's, it's, it's a fuller request. 
this really isn't just about sin. We just ask God to forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. This is about a lot more. This line of prayer in the English uh, offers, um, well, we're being taught by Jesus here to go ahead and ask our Father to keep us, uh, keep us from giving into the flesh during rough times. Does that make sense? What we're really asking here is not a lead question or a, or a temptation or sin question. It's life is difficult. And yes, sometimes it's sin, our flesh. And Scripture describes it as a dog returning to its vomit. You get that, right? You are dog people. And when you look at your little poodle child, and, and you just love that dog, and then it's eating vomit or its own poop in the yard, you kind of go, ah, what's wrong with you? Because you don't expect that from, the chi- from, that, from your child. But, but that's what dogs do. And guess what flesh does? Ugh. Even if we resist, we still want to not resist. And I think the church sometimes, and yes, God delivers us from our desires sometimes, but not all the time. That's why Peter wrote, resist the fiery desires of the flesh. Because they're fiery. Wait till we get into Romans and you find out what Paul's spiritual secret life was like in Romans 7, after salvation. Why do I continue to do the things I don't want to do? I know the right thing, but I don't do it. It seems like the more I walk, you know, it goes on and on. Who is going to save me from this body of death? Jesus Christ. So what we're actually asking here, if you take it in the Greek, is the idea that not so much just don't walk me in the path of temptation, but help me to overcome uh, the flesh, my desires, during rough times, whether it be temptation or to sin or difficult times because life has difficult times. In other words, bless our journey, protect us on our journey, and keep us from giving into our flesh on the journey. Does that make sense? I always wondered, so as a child, my dad isn't here this morning, but every time we went somewhere, as good little Christians, we would pray before vacations and stuff, and we would pray journey's mercies. Do you guys remember that? I still have no idea what that means. But we would pray that. It was like the peace that passes all understanding. I always thought it was one word, a thing. Uh, Dear Lord, we're going to go on vacation now. We ask that you give us a safe trip. And as I started growing in my relationship with the Lord, and even this last week, I thought, unless it's not your will to have a safe trip. I don't really want your will to be done, though, Lord. But I, I remember that we would pray for that. That's what this is. I never found a text that told me to pray that. This is telling me to pray that. But it's okay to pray that. It's okay to pray for steak when he's giving you manna. But you just remember that we're praying to the Holy One who's gotten his work done on, in, in heaven, and I really want his work done on earth, so I understand that he may not give me steak or he may not give me a safe trip. And when he doesn't, I'm going to trust him. Even in the storm. I think I just quoted Mercy Me. I must trust him. And by the way, there's a whole brand of heretical Christianity today that says you don't have to trust him in the storm. If you really loved God and you had enough faith, there would be no storms. To which the Bible says, excuse me, the storm is all over the scripture. And in fact, it says it's good for us. Don't you start supporting or keep supporting ministries that lie to you to feed your flesh. Just because they have a fish on it doesn't make it true. And that's what we're praying for here. Let me tell you what I do know from Scripture about the journey in life as God's kid. I'm going to rapid-fire Scripture. Proverbs 16, 9. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. 
Psalms 37, 23 and 24. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, well, if there wasn't difficulty, there'd be no stumbling. There are no rocks. Though they stumble, they will never fall. Why? Because the Lord holds them by the hand. So Philippians 1, 6, I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, it was all him to save you, I am certain that the one who began it will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now you know why we pray, you know, come back soon. Because that's the solution of our growth. And when it comes to being tempted to sin as God's kid, if you think, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God's faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. By the way, another misnomer on Facebook theology. People say, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not what this text says. This text says that when you are tempted to sin, he will give you a way of escape. And maybe the back door to strip club, you shouldn't be in there in the first place. But it gives you a way of escape. Well, the truth is, most of us don't want to escape. We just want to be forgiven. Because frankly, I deserve this. And in case you think that I'm, I, I'm making this up or this is still on a small scale, I've had people in my office at Carpenter's Way Church who are married and committing adultery with somebody else telling me that's God's will. Why? Because it makes me happy. People that you worshiped with in the past. And I'm simply, and I know there's a lot of you going, who could he have been talking about? Nobody. The fact is, none of your business. The fact is, we rationalize. Sin makes you stupid. You start rationalizing stuff. You know, I don't believe for a, for a moment that a lot of these pastors that are falling right now go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become a pastor so I can find a, a weak-willed women, woman that I could have an affair with. None of them did. And on their wedding day, they were excited about their marriage. And, and you know what? They were excited about what God was going to use them for. They just took their eyes off the ball. Don't take your eye off Jesus because the flesh rages. And what we're asking God to do here, and he's promised, he's promised to give us a way of escape with sin, but tribulation and trial, sometimes it's more than we can handle. And some of you are there right now. And I'm simply telling you, take it to God. Take it to him. He already knows what you need. Take it to him. Run to him. This is about our Father who has a plan on earth as he does in heaven, whose solution is coming back. He's coming back for us. Who knows what your needs are. Run to him. <clears throat> back to Matthew 6.13. You, you probably notice that we've only been talking about the first half of this final sentence in the model, in the model prayer. Um, so would you put verse 13 up there for me, please? Okay, here it is. I want you to notice this because when you just recite it, you don't think about it, and I want you to think about it. So what Jesus is teaching us to pray is, help us endure in the journey, temptation, trial, tribulation, right? The difficulty, help me endure. Uh, uh, help, help, us, help us to overcome. So there's going to be trial. There's even going to be temptation. There's even going to be temptation to sin. But that doesn't seem to be what the second member of the Trinity is mostly concerned about for us. 
or what we should be mostly concerned about. Actually, it's the evil one we need to be rescued from. Are you following my thinking in this? We, okay, let me, let me ask you another question, okay? I wonder how many times, and, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, how many times in the last two weeks, we'll go way out, have you prayed for something? And I'm not dogging you. It's not bad. Prayed for something. Lord, I need a better job. Lord, I need better food. Lord, I want a better whatever. Lord, help me with my kids. Lord, how many times in the last year have you asked the Father to protect you from the evil one? In the last year. In the last five years. You see, I think one of Satan's tools is to get us to, and, and pastors help, we get you so obsessed with yourself that we don't really believe in the spiritual war that's going on. We kind of write it off and, and we laugh about it. That's only for, for the same reason we don't talk about the return of Christ because only wackos and false prophets do that. It's the same thing. We don't talk about, we don't pray about Lucifer and his temptations and struggles. Why? Because we can handle those. What I need is help today. When the reality is that in this prayer, Jesus seems, you know, help us not yield to temptation. I think that's probably the best translation in a modern version, in my humble opinion. But he wants us to be rescued from the evil one. What's crazy about this, you guys, is in John 17, that's exactly what Jesus prayed hours before his arrest. In John 17, 13, he prays this. Now I am coming to you. In other words, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to resurrect. And then 40 days later, around 40 days, I'm going to come back to you. I am coming to you. I told them, the disciples, many things while I was with them in this world so that they would, find, they would be filled with joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I don't belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them from, out of the world. Now, pause, 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 pause. So Jesus just declared a problem. The world is going to kill me, and boy, it hates them too. But I'm not asking you to take them out of the world or protect them from the evil people. I'm asking you to keep them safe from the evil one. I, I, I was always, I was worried this week that I wouldn't be able to communicate this clearly. Do, do you see what I'm trying to say? Sometimes it's like spiritual tongues. You have to understand. We're worried about temptation. Help me not drink too much. Help me not smoke too much. Help me not kill my husband. Whatever. We're praying about those things. And the thing is, you're going to overcome those things. You probably, some of your husbands deserve to die. But short of those things, I mean, you're going, to, you're going to be fine. And even if you're not fine, in jail, hours before you are put to sleep for killing your husband, the truth is God is gracious and he is going to forgive you. That's not the problem. The problem is that the, the war, the spiritual war that's going on, Satan can't attack God. They're not equals. God is sovereign. He is God. And, and Lucifer is just a little tiny angel a rebellious angel, a powerful angel, but he's just a little tiny angel with a big mouth. And the problem is, one of the most effective things he's done in the evangelical conservative church today is good us not to talk about him because that's what those wackos do. The same people that are worried about the return a week from Tuesday are also talking about Satan. Well, I got news for you. We've gone too far. The pendulum has swung so far that we don't look at hope at the return of Christ. And secondly, we don't take Satan seriously. And apparently Jesus does. Pray that you won't yield to temptation or in the tribulations and trials of life. But I got news for you. You should pray that he keeps you and protects you from the evil one because he's coming after you since he can't come after God. And is it, let's admit something because nobody watches this but you guys. 
if you're a terrorist and you want to really terrorize somebody, you don't go after them, you go after their kids. Is that not logical thinking? And that's exactly what Lucifer does. And Jesus knows that. And so, and so in this, and then we have an example of him praying in John 17. You know, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world with all the hate and all the persecution and all the temptations. I'm just asking that you keep them safe from the evil one. Wow. This prayer that we've been studying isn't just something that Jesus is educating us to do, but it's actually how he prayed. Jesus actually prays that our Father would protect us from the evil one in his final prayer for us on earth. Um, so let's look real quick in the remaining moments at our spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 18. Most of you, when you hear spiritual warfare because you went to student camp, your mind goes immediately there. So let's look at it. Be strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6, 10, and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Leave that up there. What's God's goal for you through Paul when you're standing against the evil one? Stand firm. It ain't to take him on. My apologies to Carmen. I'm the champion. I'm going to kick your rear end, Satan. That is such bragging. I got news for you. Even the angel of the Lord, uh, the New Testament says, didn't bring an accusation against the devil, but says the Lord rebuke you. We have no idea what games we're playing with. And even though it pumps up a congregation, he is a force worth being, uh, that's, that's to be reckoned with. But the good news is he's been defeated. And Jesus Christ will defeat him once and for all when he puts him in chains and casts him into hell. If you think go to hell is a bad term, wait, wait till you see Jesus say it. And he will. But our goal in this is to stand firm so that we can stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers, mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, so this is the part you know, put on the full armor of God so that, what? You'll be able to, what is our goal? To resist. It's not to figure it out. It's not to, it's not to kick his butt. It's not to slap him around. I'm going to beat you today, Satan. Do you realize how arrogant that makes us sound, how stupid we sound? What we're supposed to do is stand firm to resist. And how do we do that? By putting on every piece of God's armor so that we'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. That's the goal. The goal isn't defeating him. He's lost the war. He's just using you as a pawn. So verse 14, stand your ground. So sometimes I'll get a call regularly, and someone will say, Pastor, Satan is really attacking me this week, and I need you to pray that he'll leave me alone. And they go, what do you think I should do? Should I pray? Or should I fast? And my first answer is stand firm, because that's what Scripture says. But yeah, but what do I do with Satan? Resist him. In other words, ladies, you're all beautiful, okay? Let me just say that first of all. So when you, <laughs> you're welcome. You're exceptionally beautiful, Pam. When you're driving down the road in your Maserati, I'm sorry, this is Texas, your super sweet steel truck that you can't get out of without a ladder, that thing, and you're driving down the road, 
and that dude pulls up to you next to you with no teeth <laughs> and no shirt on, and he looks over at you and smiles. He winks. And your first thought is, why doesn't handsome men ever do that to me? You know what you do with that guy? Or you're downtown, and somebody walks up to you, and you're nervous, and they come up to you, and they, want to, they look in your face. I, you know where I'm going with this, right? Do you know what you do with that guy? That's what you do with Lucifer. You don't talk to him. You don't roll down your window and go, you're not handsome enough for me. If you lost about 60 pounds and had some dental work done, then we can flirt. <laughs> you resist. I used to teach Annie that. I said, look, we want to be kind to people, but not everybody. There's a button you push, I'm not going to tell you what I call it, that lets a guy know you're not interested in his attention. And it has nothing to do with talking with him or touching his shoulder or explaining where you're coming from. I'm a child of God and I want to love you, but you are coming off on the wrong way and therefore I don't want to... Don't do that. <laughs> Resist. Right? Yeah. Resist. Step away. Don't talk to him. Drive that truck on. And when you get in front of them with that diesel that's louder than it has speed, I'm driving around in a Subaru, and I got news for you. When you put a bunch of diesel inside my car, I am not happy with you. And you pull, pull in front of them, put it in neutral, fill them with fumes, and drive on. Don't take them on. Don't talk about why you're married, how long you've been married. Just resist. That's what we do with Lucifer. Well, we're going we're gonna to kick us some Satan butt. Don't kick butt. You don't have to. His butt has already been kicked, and it's going to be kicked permanently. What are we doing? We've turned this into a self-help thing that's all God's power. It's all God. This prayer is about God, and he's telling us to stand our ground, put on the belt of truth. That's why you've got to know what's true. That's not just salvation. That's the full truth and the body armor of God's righteousness, not your own. It's not morality or good deeds. You put on his, his armor so you can resist temptation. Verse 15. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared to resist him and walk away. Verse 16, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Keep going. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pause there for a second. The only offensive weapon that we are given in this spiritual warfare is God's Word. How much time are you spending in God's Word? compared to how many hours of Carmen you're listening to. Anybody under the age of 30 right now is going, who's Carmen? He was the Rocky of Christian music in the 80s, man. That guy kicked more satanic butt than anybody you've ever seen. He was the champion, and he was handsome. He, <laughs> he always cracked me up because he'd come to Detroit a lot, and when you'd go to his concerts, the big thing was they're free, but he'd take six or seven offerings during the thing. So, I'm, anyway, Carmen, the Italian stallion of Christian warfare. <laughs> the, it's, it's, just, it's just we're kind of cocky, you know, and I get it. And we want to be pumped up, but what if the pumping up is based on a lie? We're supposed to resist. We're supposed to keep going. And this whole prayer is about God empowering us not to yield to temptation in times of trial and difficulty. But I'll tell you what, the minute you start the minute you start overcoming Satan's tactics, he's going to change tactics. So don't have a tactic except God. 
You want to you know the most effective tool against the evil one? Every time he tempts you, you get on your knees and spend an hour with God. He'll stop tempting you that way. He will come at you a different way. But if it actually draws you closer to the Lord, he's smart enough not to go back there. It's almost time to end. Five verses, not 100 chapters. It's in your Bible, not some book you buy from a famous human publisher. And if you want one, I'd be glad to give it to you. It's Jesus teaching on prayer, not somebody else who learned to pray effectively on their own. And it's not complicated. When you pray, don't babble on and on and on as the, as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need before you ask Him. Instead of all that stuff, Gentile-like prayer, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation in times of tribulation. Instead, rescue us from the evil one because he's our real enemy. If you're very King Jamesy like me, you're waiting for the end of the, ver the prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> this will throw you for a curve, but the truth is that's not in Jesus' original prayer. How do I know that? Because we can go back with all of the discoveries of scriptures that we have in the past, and we can find out when that was added. How can you find out when that was added? Because all of a sudden, we have over 20 to 25,000 different manuscripts of the scriptures all over the globe. Not only that, you could actually rewrite the New Testament almost completely just by people who have quoted historians, Christian historians and otherwise, have, uh, the scriptures. And that ending of the prayer does not show up until a certain year in the past thousand years. So we know it's not in the original, so I'm not going to deal with it. We all know that the power is his forever. It's not that it's a wrong statement. It's just not the biblical statement, and we are still working at getting the, the, the best and most accurate we can. So you won't find it in the New Living Translation, and most of the translations actually leave it out now, and the King James will have a little asterisk, and they'll, they'll announce it in there. They'll, they'll put a little note. But if I was to summarize for you what I've learned from his prayer and the time that we've had together in it, I think that Jesus, it's simply that I, I never want to forget that while God is my Father and he wants me to run to him with my concerns, he wants me to never forget to actually declare that he is the Holy One, that he's got a plan and I trust him for that, that while I take my burdens and pains and fears and temptations to him, the truth is that just as my salvation was an act of faith, so is my walk, and that my joy should be found in his plans being accomplished, not my own. God has reminded me in this, that I should never be satisfied with having all of my wants given to me, because if I get all of my wants, I will not need him. So it's, his best, it's in his best interest not to give me my wants. And you know what? That's pretty much how I parented. So why would I want my heavenly father not to parent me that way? If I gave Zach and Anna everything they wanted growing up, Zach wouldn't be up here playing today and my, my daughter wouldn't have already found a church in Dallas. Because churches don't meet your needs the way you need them to be met. Only God does. Run to him. Run to our Father. As we conclude the short series, I was thinking this week, so, so what am I taking away? What, I, I'm a simple guy, so I need something to remind me what I learned in here. 
And this is what I learned. Put Proverbs 3 up there. That this is, the Lord's Prayer, is almost a repeat in a different form of this. And this was my prayer this week. I will trust in the Lord with all my heart. I will not depend on my own understanding, Father. I will seek your will in all that I do, and I know that you will show me the path you want me to take when you want me to know what that path is. I will not be impressed any longer with my own understanding. Instead, I will seek to fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And if I'll pray that I believe with all my heart, verse 8, it will then be healing for my body and strength for my bones and my anxiety problems will go away. Because I have placed my trust not in this, but in this. And I think we're all struggling with that. I think we're all struggling with, does he really have this under control? To which the answer is, he does. Well, why don't I see it? Because you're not God. You don't have the big picture. Trust him. I was thinking this week that it's time that I place my life, my needs, my salvation, even the dangers of this life, and the threats of the evil one firmly in his hands. And I invite you to join me in surrendering that to him. Because I was deeply moved by this. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. doesn't matter how many marriages you've had. doesn't matter any of that. What matters is right now, today. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your adopted dad, today is the day of adoption. Call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. If you are his child and you're not surrendered to him, it's time. It really is. And if you don't think it's time, let me ask you this, how's that working for you? It doesn't. There's nobody more miserable than a Christian out of fellowship with his Savior. At the end of every service, I'm going to close in prayer. We don't do an altar call here. But over here in the corner, we have communion. Just communion elements. And if the Lord has been speaking to you and you want to come over here as a couple, as an individual, and just take a, after, after I'm done praying, you're welcome to come over here and take a few minutes with the Lord and just talk to him. I'll be up here. If you don't know the Lord, I'd love to pray with you. But the conclusion of this is don't trust the Southern Baptist Church. Don't trust the pastors in the Southern Baptist Churches. Don't trust your favorite author or your favorite hymnist. You trust Jesus. You go to him with your needs knowing he already knows what you need before you ask. And the answer to these issues are his return. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're learning to trust you. And so we end this time saying, Maranatha, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Bible study will start in five minutes.